You're listening to The Dealmaker's Edge with A.Y. Strauss, diving deep into stories behind commercial real estate leaders. Anthony, we're, we're so happy you're here on the podcast today. I want to welcome Anthony Rinaldi, who's the founder and managing principal of Saxon Real Estate. He oversees all the aspects of the firm, strategic initiatives and operations, including investment strategy, acquisitions, capital raising, leasing activities, development. He's leading a team of over 35 professionals, and Saxon is really going through explosive growth to become one of the fastest growing real estate private equity firms in the country with over 7 million square feet across 30 assets, over 2 billion in investment capitalizations. And we're thrilled you're on, Anthony, and what you've done is remarkable. And we want to try to share your story. So maybe uh, we'll start with your personal background, if you wouldn't mind sharing a couple minutes biographical sketch. We'd be wonderful. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you having me, Aaron. It's good to connect again. Um, yeah, super blessed. It's been a wild ride. Um, I, you know, not sure how far back you want me to take it, but you know, I grew up middle-class family. Dad was a small contracting business. My mom was an administrative assistant. I grew up in New Jersey in Glen Ridge uh, with my parents and my younger brother. Uh, went to Glen Ridge High School, you know, had a pretty standard um, childhood and uh, was very fortunate to have a couple loving parents and ended up going to Penn State originally. Was putting myself through college, uh, mostly funded through student loans and side jobs that I had and uh, was having a lot of fun at school and realized that you know, I needed to start focusing more on academics and less on social skills. So I ended up transferring to NYU, was very fortunate to get into their undergrad real estate program at night school. So I started in that program in the city. And simultaneously, this was right at the, the crash, um, the GFC, I started as a commercial broker. So I got a job working with some good folks at Newmark Knight Frank doing office leasing commission-based business uh, was really challenging, obviously, as you could imagine, to find the owner's like principal side roles, you know, in 2009, uh, have you. So figured I'd bet on myself and give it a shot um, and jump into the commercial brokerage industry. So was doing that, working as a, you know, bartender and bar back on the weekends to make ends meet, going to school at night and working in commercial brokerage. So it was, you know, what I would call my pursuit of happiness and just kind of, you know, working my butt off. Uh, met my wife who stuck with me through all that stuff. And, uh, you know, my career really took off from there. So we ended up getting recruited to go to a boutique shop called Garibaldi Group, another New Jersey-based firm, wonderful guys. Had a chance to work on some great business there. And then from there, wanted to learn the asset side even more and went to Collier's to work with the team, my former Newmark Knight Frank team. And really, it was at Collier's where I started kind of hitting my stride and finding a, a bit of success relative for my age. You know, I was in my early 20s. And at that point, started really understanding the real estate side, the, the ownership side. And obviously, most people who get in the business, the, the, the goal is always to get on the principal side. And Eventually, just one day worked up the courage to, to go out and launch my own platform. I think most people thought I was nuts. I was about to get married, you know, probably had about $150,000, $140,000 in student debt, but I knew I had a dream and I, I kind of wanted to do it at a young age. Uncovered a unique investment strategy, thought I saw a wrinkle in the market and really just launched from there. And that was eight years ago, uh, over eight years ago when I started Saxon. That's an amazing track record. And for the record, you were crazy. What were you doing? About to get married. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, uh, I was about to get married. Yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of student debt, uh, living in a crappy apartment. But, you know, when you kind of have that desire and you've got that kind of entrepreneurial itch, it's hard to put that down, right? It's just, it, it's kind of in your bones. So you, you just got to go chase it. So you've done amazing things. And 
I mean, in the past few years, the, the growth has been explosive through all the partnerships and all the capital raising. Maybe you can give our listeners a sense of what the business is like today, maybe versus a few years ago in the earlier stages and what were some of those humps you overcame? Yeah. It's been crazy. And, you know, the job of a, a principal is, is solving problems, right? You're just making decisions and solving problems that come up and, you know, every day brings a new challenge. As a, you know, we were the definition of a startup. My first office, literally working on boxes with just Christmas lights strung up. And it's kind of blown up from one project, one person, one building to now 35 professionals. I think we're probably up to 40 assets across the country or projects across the country, well over 2 billion in a variety of different asset classes, uh, really spanning most of the nation. So it's, it's grown kind of exponentially. Um, and really, I'd say the last five years is where it started taking off. And then the last two is where we've had that kind of explosive growth. But I think that's the nature of an entrepreneurial story, right? You just start out learning your way through it, kicking your way through it kind of just fighting through all the hurdles um, because the truth is there's no playbook for this. You know, you're only going to learn it if you go out and try it. And, you know, that's essentially what I did. And you just kind of build on every day from, you know, what you learned the previous day. And we've seen a lot of growth in there. And I would say, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people is what's most important. Um, I remember in my first interview, they asked me something along like, you think you'll be successful? And I said, I know I'll be successful provided I surround myself with the right people. And, you know, that, that kind of ethos rings true today and that you've got an amazing team at Saxum, you know, people rowing in, in, in all in the same direction for a common goal. And that's what's really kind of pushed us forward to be the firm that, that we are today. It's amazing. I know you have a, a motto. Every day we continue to develop our story, our projects and our people to do good and push forward. And I think you nailed it. If, if you have the people rowing together, you can achieve absolute greatness. If you have disproportionate parts and pieces and different um, competing interests, then you, you've got a problem. But everybody would interact with your team and it's just world-class talent. And and together with that ethos of hard work and just integrity, it's hard to find. Um, so it's wonderful. Um, maybe we could talk about a little bit about fundamentals. You've got your hands in so many development projects um, you know, when it comes to, you know, sort of a niche in the cold storage, you've really dominated, you've built an amazing portfolio, you've got so much happening nationally. It's a weird time in the world, you know, broadly, obviously. And then in real estate with the rates and inflation, all this other stuff, you're focused on tomorrow and the long term. So these are obviously blips and things will get resolved over time. But on a macro basis, you know, how are you thinking about strategic investments and your current portfolio? I think you, you touched on it. It is a very challenging time to be investing. It's challenging in the sense that no one knows what the future is going to entail, right? You know, I think every day that goes on, you know, the likelihood of a recession does increase. I think we have geopolitical risks, as we all know, um, that, you know, we've been actually speaking about for the last 12 months at Saxon before, you know, it turned into a war overseas, just understanding kind of things that were kind of boiling up. Um, you have obviously enormous uh, strain on monetary policy that's kind of occurred here in the last 24 to 30, 24 months, I guess, since COVID started. So those things are going to have repercussions. But when it comes to long-term investing, you really need to have enormous amounts of conviction to kind of see through that storm. So for example, in COVID, right, um, it was very challenging on our business, so much uncertainty kind of 
you know, you're scrambling around to just figure out, you don't know how it's going to shake out. But while most organizations at the time were terminating deals, breaking up contracts, we were fortunate enough to have enormous conviction and move forward with pretty much every single one of our investments. And they've all obviously panned out to be uh, extraordinary, but it's having that kind of conviction to, to move forward, right? Do good, move forward. And if you've got a lot of faith and conviction in, in what you're, you're doing, you're going to ultimately be successful. So in real estate, knowing that it's a long-term game, you know, we are focusing primarily on two major uh, asset classes at this point. So we've touched almost everything from retail, office, boutique office, multifamily, student housing, medical office, cold storage, industrial. I think the only thing we really haven't touched is hospitality because that's just not our, uh, our forte. But we've had an opportunity to invest in most asset classes and invest in those successfully. But you know, now looking at the kind of landscape of where we see the world and where we see the world going is we've continued to focus on two major verticals of housing and industrial. So in housing, we have our multifamily development uh, and our student housing. So we have, you know, over almost 1500 apartments we're building at the end of this week, um, we'll own about 4,000 student housing beds. And then on industrial, we own, you know, we've got a really budding uh, industrial pipeline and cold storage, we're, we're one of the larger cold storage players in the country. So, you know, those asset classes, we have enormous amounts of conviction that regardless of the volatility that we see in the market, regardless of the potential for recession, we know that these areas are going to perform well. E-commerce, as everyone knows, and modernization of supply chains has fundamentally changed the industrial market, which includes cold storage. And there's a universal housing shortage in the U.S. that's just not going to slow down due to demographic changes and a variety of other factors. So those are spaces that we feel very strongly about and will continue to make uh, significant investments in all across the country. Perfect. So it's continue to invest with conviction, double down on your strengths, and don't get overly distracted or wary when there's broader blips, as will always come, the rise and fall of different markets and timing. Um, How about the investor base and your capital partners and your your group of partners that you have across different assets and deal flow. Um, are conversations changing and shifting? Do you hear some people start to say, hey, you know, we love industrial, we love multi, but maybe there's a contrarian play of any kind. Obviously, you have a strong passion and a view and your conviction, and I think it's amazing, but it is a, it is a sort of odd time. Are you seeing cracks in people's confidence in those assets or they're just saying, Let's double down across the board. I think it's all case by case. I think there's going to be a market repricing, right? Interest rates widening will inherently lead to cap rates widening. It just will happen, right? Um, I think markets where rental rate growth, you know, part of inflation, right? Rental rate growth outpaces the widening of interest rates. Those markets will not have the same significant widening of cap rates, meaning values won't fall as much. Areas that are maybe more tertiary where there are slower growth markets with less kind of fundamentals, they are going to have, you know, challenges in terms of value for the short term. I think long term rates are going to be low. They have to be low. The U.S. is debt is so substantial. It's, it's candidly unmanageable. So the only way that they can even keep their arms around it is by having low long term rates. So the idea that rates are going to go to Volcker era is, is really just impossible, in my opinion. So you, while they have, the Fed is, has to raise rates now to fight inflation, which is, you know, runaway inflation is arguably much worse than recession. So they're fighting that. I think oh, once that, that those issues are kind of tampered down, 
then rates will continue to come down uh, back to lower levels that we've seen. And therefore, you know, asset pricing will continue to stabilize. So I think when you see these levels of volatilities, there's, there's sides of the trade you can be on, right? There are contrarian views that are going to be profitable. And there's buys that really sharp niche players are going to be able to do really well. And then there's going to be markets that are going to be inherent losers. And I think that's just the nature of the game. But if you're cognizant of that and trying to make decisions swiftly in an ever-changing market, hopefully you can kind of be on the right side of those. And, and you really have your hand nationally. I mean, there's just so many projects. You've really learned so many markets. It's, it's remarkable. Um, any particular market you're really just very passionate about, you see yourself wanting to pursue further? You know, we own a lot of multifamily in the Northeast. Uh, we, we continue to believe in those markets. But in terms of growth markets that we're heavily investing in, I mean, the Southeast uh, and the Southwest, like you are specifically Texas. I mean, these markets are extraordinary, right? The growth story is real. It's undeniable. People have been migrating to warmer climate areas for 70 years, I think, since the dawn of AC, which if you look at it from an economic standpoint, that's a real thing. When they invented uh, air conditioning, people started moving south. Um, but, you know, those growth market, to, op- those opportunities like Texas, Florida, Georgia, these are areas that are pro-development, pro-growth, are great places to do business. So we obviously moving into Austin was a reason for that, putting a flag uh, in the ground to continue to expand in the Texas Triangle very significantly. So we have projects in DFW, San Antonio, Austin, and soon to be Houston. And those are in a variety of different asset classes. We are definitely long Texas and uh, long a number of these other Southern growth markets like Florida and Georgia, where we continue to do a lot of business. It, they're really remarkable places to work. The, you know, if you look at the Texas Triangle, a thousand people a day roughly move there in every day for the last decade. So this isn't a COVID thing. People talk about it. It's been happening for well over a decade. And, and that type of growth is just not going to slow down. For sure. It's funny. I was born in Austin, Texas, and my family moved to New York. Maybe the only person. Uh, yeah, you might be the only years. one who went the other way. Yeah. My, my dad took a job at NYU. He had to take it. But my life would have been a lot different, certainly from a real estate perspective. But um, all kidding aside, we talked about the scope of investing. We've talked about your career, which is phenomenal. Very exciting. Maybe we could talk about a little bit about your edge. We talked about the ethos of Saxon and the caliber of people and rowing together, but just on a personal basis, you've done a lot. You've got a lot of pressure and obviously outperformed, but I mean, how do you manage that? I mean, some of our listeners, we expect to be young up and coming developers. We're going to look to you for, you know, as a role model, they can look up to somebody who's achieved at a high level. How do you manage sort of the mental aspect of the business, especially in those early years before you had the breakout? I mean, you had to keep going. Like you said, it was hard and um, not many people have that courage. So assuming they have the courage, but how do you manage those early years? What kind of things did you say to yourself on the toughest days? That, that would be really inspiring, I think, for people to hear. Yeah, there's no secret sauce, but, and it, I, you know, looking back on those early days, like it was extraordinarily trying. Some of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, right, is kind of powering th- through it. But I think in general, if you aren't an optimist, that's hard. <laughs> if you don't have enormous amount of faith, confidence, and conviction, and I think, you know, faith can come in a lot of different ways for people. Confidence, I think, is, is fairly straightforward. Confidence in yourself, the team your mission um, and conviction in what you're doing. But those are the things that kind of keep the, the train on the tracks, as they say, you know, you just have to believe that 
no matter how hard today was, that tomorrow can get better. And if you have that hope and faith that tomorrow will get better, that hope that it can, and then the faith that it will, you can power through a lot of adversity. I think people that maybe are a little pessimistic, and we're all pessimistic at times in a lot of different ways, or that don't really have confidence or or faith in their mission are going to have a very challenging time pushing through those moments that become really hard. Because any entrepreneur, anybody really kind of putting themselves out there, starting a business is going to face massive amounts of adversity. And you just have to kind of keep pushing through and eventually, you know, hopefully you'll break out. And, you know, other advice is you have to train yourself. And this is something that I learned to do, um, to be able to absorb enormous amounts of information, do your best at retaining it, and then be able to make decisions at record pace, especially in an investing business like real estate or investing in general, you have to make decisions enormously fast. And if you are going to sit back and try to, you know, pontificate on every single one of those things, trying to find perfect amounts of information to make that decision, you're going to have a really difficult time. You'll have a difficult time scaling. You'll have a difficult time even getting to the place where you could actually scale the business. So making decisions quickly is, is really, really critical. And you know, the hope, I guess, is at the end of the day that you make more good decisions than bad ones. And if you do, you should probably be in a, a pretty good spot. Amazing. I love it. And it's so apropos for every business owner, not just commercial real estate, obviously. I'm going to think about that all day. Hope that it can, faith that it will. It's solid. It's really solid. Obviously, making decisions with efficiency, especially, you know, in the legal community, you know, we're paid to overanalyze. So we're often victim of paralysis by analysis or analysis by paralysis, whichever one it is, but I love it. I love the, I love the themes you're developing. What else, if somebody's able to sit down with you, you know, squeeze a cup of coffee with you, sum up and come developer, and you probably have a lot of these. I know we talked about you oftentimes look to team up on a co-GP basis with some of these up and coming developers who can use your expertise and your capital relationships and everything else. Um, how are those conversations going? Besides this mental edge we're, we're encapsulating, they want to break into development. They want to break into real estate investing. You know, what kind of just advice and guidance are you giving to them? Would you suggest they go through that corporate route, work at some institutional firms, just career guidance? And I know it's fact-based specific, but any best practices you could think of for somebody breaking in? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different paths you can take. When a lot of people approach me about this, I often start like, hey, what is your end goal, right? Is it to make your own schedule, have a small company, build a nice nest egg? Is it to scale some mega platform? Is it everything in between? Like, you know, whatever it is, start with, you know, what you think a relative end goal is, and then kind of work your way back there. Know kind of what you're working for. And, you know, as you're growing a successful business, you'll find that that goal always moves out. It gets larger, it gets higher, um, but at least start with something you're kind of, you've, you've got goalposts to head towards. You know, I think that that's going to help guide you a lot. I would also say it's really critical for young people starting in the business to a couple of things. If you're really starting a platform of ownership, you have to find a niche. Finding that niche is incredibly important because why would folks invest with you if you're doing the same thing that others have been doing for 10 or 20 years? So at Saxum, Every one of our investment strategies has been well ahead of the curve uh, from institutional radar. So we were the first doing kind of adaptive reuse, creative office in downtowns in New Jersey. We were the earliest adopters of opportunity zones. Uh, We've been working through student housing well before 
uh, a number of folks have. We broke ground on the second cold storage project in U.S. history and are building that business out and really transforming the landscape across the U.S. Because you really got to find that niche. And you then you've got to, once you learn it, understand it, and then go and capitalize on it. So I think that early adoption is really critical. And then when you're really starting out, say you're 22 years old or whatever age it is, real estate is a people business. You've got to build relationships. You've got to be trustworthy. You've got to be honest. You've got to be a good person and have integrity. And you've got to just go build relationships. Like I didn't grow up in family money, came from very humble beginnings. But I would say that, you know, even my first investment, uh, whether it was partners, investors, lenders, those all came from the relationships that I had built in one way, shape, or form, even as a very young man. And luckily in real estate, it's a social business. People are willing to talk. People are willing to go out for drinks, coffee, lunch, dinners. It's probably one of the more social businesses out there. So you, you've really got to get out there. It's, I tell the young guys on my team, specifically like the acquisitions team, you know, you should be out two, three nights a week meeting people because, and you never know where those, those meetings go. But I, I had a, a friend tell me early on, all meetings are good. And, and I really believe that, that all meetings are good. You never know what that meeting, that person or that relationship could lead to. And, you know, I, I would say a large amount of the success of this firm uh, has been, you know, related to relationships and people. Amazing. And that's so true. You never know where the opportunity is coming from. Really, really amazing. One more question I have for you actually is, you're growing so fast. Maybe this is a good plug for people who should maybe apply to open positions at Saxon. Is there anything... Um, any talent you'd like to speak to to apply? We are looking for smart, hardworking, thoughtful people. So our motto is get in the boat and row. No job is too big. No job is ever too small. We mean that in our ethos. If you've got that type of mentality, team forward, kind of firm first mentality and want to be a part of something that's growing and in an amazing place to work. We've got a blend between a, a startup culture as well as, you know, a pretty substantial firm. And I think that's really unique. So we always say that, uh, you know, hopefully people, when they, people join this firm, it's the last job they'll ever have and hopefully the best one. So um, we try to live that every day. And fortunately, been pretty successful at this as we haven't had a great deal of turnover. So it's, it's a great place to work, but we're hiring on a lot of different fronts. So, so there's opportunities across the board. You can check out on saxamari.com. Amazing. And I will say all interactions we've had with your team have been fabulous. So the culture is really amazing. The quality is amazing. And I, now I understand where it all comes from as the story all comes together beautifully. So Anthony, I guess we're going to wrap here, but I, again, I really want to thank you for being on. Um, your story is remarkable. The humility the drive, the passion, the conviction. I think it all came out super clearly and hopefully people will look up Saxon for deal flow opportunities and to join a fabulous culture and a growing company. And again, thanks so much for being on today. Uh, awesome, Aaron. It was great. Thank you uh, for having me. We've done a lot of great work together. So appreciate you and the whole team. And yeah, this, is, this has been a, been a lot of fun. Thank you for joining the Dealmaker's Edge. Don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a five-star rating so more people can follow the conversation.